0: Welcome to the first episode of The Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news, culture and media. My name is Nikki, and I'm joined here by my co-host, Greg. Hello, Greg. Hello. How's it going? Good, thank you. How about yourself? It's
1: really good. I've got a really strong sense of deja vu. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, uh, second attempt at recording this, but we'll, you know, we'll make it even better, that's yeah. the thing. It's so
1: Guerrilla
0: It is gorilla <laughs> Podcasting, exactly. <laughs> uh, so welcome everyone to give a little introduction. Uh, Greg and I have been friends for over 20 years. We're both from Scotland, but neither of us have lived there for quite some time. But we like to keep up to date with Scottish news and media and just generally Scottish culture from home. So we thought it would be a great idea to catch up on all the latest events from home and just have a chat about it and record it and hopefully let you guys listen to it
1: yeah uh, and rather than perhaps talk about the sort of main news events at home taken we're doing a deep dive into the various local newspapers and finding perhaps the more obscure stories you probably won't hear about on a STV or BBC Scotland. And
0: especially in the current climate that we're in, we're looking at things that are maybe slightly humorous, to have a little (laughs) light-hearted look at Scotland, because the world's a pretty bad place at the moment, so everyone needs a little bit of humour in their life.
1: So, um, tonight, uh, before we, uh, or today rather, or whatever time of the day you're listening to the podcast, we're going to be talking, later on we're going to be talking about Still Game, uh, the Scottish comedy show, but not the TV series, and we'll talk about that at a later date. We're going to be talking about the original live show from 1999 at the Courtiers Theatre. An
0: absolute classic. So, in terms of we want to talk about Scottish media and and, and culture, how long have you been away from Scotland now, Greg, in terms of... Uh,
1: I just passed my five-year mark at the end of May there. It doesn't feel like... a. Uh, five years since I, since I moved away so it's gone by really fast. But it's not the first time I've lived away. I did move away a couple of years ago to England, to the Midlands, to be closer to my in-laws. But uh, this will be the longest I've ever I've ever lived away. I am surrounded by Scottish people here in the Middle East. Sometimes uh, it doesn't always feel that far from home, uh, particularly on a Thursday night when I'm drinking homemade beer at my neighbour from Bar Heads. But, uh, but yeah, as, 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 as you say, I do like to... I've always been a fan of Scottish media, um, particularly Scottish TV series and Scottish films. I have, I've all, I always used to feel a bit when I was younger that Scotland wasn't that well represented in terms of maybe quantity. I think it has been in quality, um, but maybe I'm a bit biased <laughs> because I'm Scottish. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, over the next kind of few weeks and months reviewing some favourites and maybe even discovering some stuff that I haven't that I
0: wasn't aware of. Well that's it. I think personally it's been 13 years since I've lived in Scotland and I have found that over the time it's my my fondness has evolved and you know I've become very patriotic and I love watching Scottish programs and Scottish films and and reading Scottish books. Uh, it it just it it feels like it's part of home and introducing you know, my partner is German and introducing her to stuff she loves two doors down for example (laughs) like it's one of our favorite shows and it's great to to just be able to to feel like a little slice of home and i agree what you say about in terms of our youth about scotland maybe being underrepresented i i think when we were growing up and we're talking the the 80s you know early 90s that there was a lot of american you know that that was cool so yeah. there was a lot of American things, and I guess it was really the mid 90s when kind of Britpop and, you know, Cool Britannia and stuff uh, exploded that we became more of a looking at home grown stuff. Mm-hmm. But early memories I have of, of Scottish media would be things like, you know, City Lights with yeah. Gerard Kelly and Andy Gray, yeah. um, or, you know, as you he... Taggart and Take the High Road. Yeah
1: about, uh, naked video, a rabs scene is, but
0: of course, yeah, naked video. How could I forget that? Yeah, with <laughs> Gregor Fisher. Uh, that was a that was a great show. I mean, that was kind of one of the first Scottish sketch shows. I mean, I guess without that, you probably wouldn't have Absolutely or Chew in the Fat or Burniston. Yeah,
1: for sure. Yeah, or uh, the the one that uh, our protagonists uh, that we're going to talk about later and still game met on Pulp Video, which all apologies in respect to everybody involved in it, I've got zero memory of that show. <laughs> zero it, memory.
0: <laughs> yeah, it rings a bell, but I'm not sure. I can't really recall seeing that, but it does ring a bell.
1: Yeah, I mean, it may have been on, um, it might have just been, because back then, like now of course uh, for Channel 3 or ITV, Scotland is represented as one sort of television station, STV, whereas course, when we were growing up, you had regional uh, television stations. So for you, you young Nicky, growing up in Aberdeen, would have had Grampian television. Uh, it was always SDB in Glasgow, but if you went further south, it was Borders television. You know, all the different ITV franchises, which I guess would be the same in England, like uh, Yorkshire Television, Granada, Titan Tees, um, before they all fell under this... Big corporate ITV uh, showing all the same stuff, but you would get programmes that would have been made by Grampian Television or ITV and Grampian, which would only be shown in the northeast of Scotland. And then you would have stuff on STV that would only be shown in the kind of Glasgow, Strathclyde, Edinburgh kind of area. So possibly Pulp Video uh, was one of those ones. Maybe it was only on in um, it was only on in Glasgow. Uh, or on STV as it was. That
0: does make sense, because as you say, it was very regionalised. I can't yeah. wait to review episodes of Pick a Number with you. <laughs> did, yeah. did you get that in Glasgow? Or no, was that? no, no.
1: But I have seen it. Um, I think it, when, I, when I lived in when I lived in uh, the North East in Aberdeenshire when I was a teenager for a few years, I think I remember Pick a Number being on Grampian. And the, the other one that I remember that was particular to Grampian TV was The Birthday Spot or something it was on, <laughs> that was on after the children's uh, ITV programs were finished. It was like a really five minute birthday card reading.
0: It's, it's so weird that you just said that, because I'd literally watched a clip of that on YouTube the other day. I'm, I'm not going to go into the story, but I'm, I'm from Aberdeen, I'm a big Aberdeen fan, and there is a rumour about the the 1991 season um, that we were a great team and for some reason we lost 5-0 away to St Johnston. And there's a rumour about a member of the team was having an affair with one of the male presenters that used to present the birthday <laughs> segment on the oh, Robin Galloway, was it? <laughs> I, I'm not going to say names, no. Uh, but it wasn't Robin Galloway, just... just First, it wasn't Robin Galloway. I'll, okay. I'll tell you later who it was. But well, that's so strange that you mentioned that. But yes, that was a, a wonderful segment. And you always aspired to have your birthday card read out on the birthday segment on
1: Grampian TV. You you remember my uh, my old my old flatmate uh, when I lived up I would say his name who I shared the flat with um, for a few years in Aberdeen city centre and he and I had gone to school together we were very old friends and when we were at school he had a real crush on a girl in her in, in her English class and it, you know it was it was unrequited love you know what I mean he he crushed hard on her uh, and everybody knew including her but it was just kind of one of them things. And such was his infatuation that he got on a birthday card on the was it was it the birthday spot or the birthday corner or what was it? It called? was the birthday spot. Yes, yeah. <laughs> he, he got on a card in the birthday spot, and it and, it, and it, 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 it 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 was read out. It was it was the talk of the school. I would love to tell you that like in some like sort of American nineteen eighties kind of movie where the kind of the best popular kids does goods by making this grand gesture, but shit... It didn't work out that way. <laughs> An ungrateful cow. <laughs> oh, what
0: a bitch. She broke his poor heart. She did. Oh, all that effort as well.
1: <laughs> Chances <laughs> of getting it red. I mean, come on. I think I, th- I think all that sh- that talk about Grampian TV almost sort of seamlessly segues into uh, my, our first local news story. And, you know, obviously you and I met in Aberdeen I spent a lot of a lot of my kind of formative years in Aberdeenshire, and, uh, and we know that Aberdeen, and Aberdeenshire, are, are home to some colourful characters. You would say, of course. Um, and as such, the local newspapers are always uh, a treasure trove of interesting little stories that you might not find in the daily record, shall we say. So th- this first one comes from the Press and Journal on uh, June the 8th uh, of this year. And the headline, and it was the headline that drew me to this uh, story. Three nights behind bars for Aberdeen couple who, insert quotation marks, grappled... <laughs> <laughs> Grappled on the street, so I'll, I'll just I'll just read the opening lines here. An Aberdeen couple have spent three nights behind bars after an early morning disagreement escalated into a street fight. Donna Clark, age 39, I get I'm not sure why it, it's important that we know what age she is, and. Uh, <laughs> Forty-three-year-old Graham Ford had been discussing had been discussing their finances at his home on Girdleston Place just after six a.m. on Tuesday morning. So I'd be interested to know your opinion on this, Nicky, But I suspect that they didn't get up really early on Thursday morning to discuss their finances. <laughs> I, I,
0: I would imagine not. <laughs> if if you're having an argument about your finances, it, six in the morning isn't the best time to do it. Uh, I would imagine they'd been up all night. So
1: the article goes on to say, but the conversation became heated and the pair were seen outside grappling with each other shortly after. Mr. Flood then made a regrettable, offensive remark to a neighbour who had been woken up by the noise from the outside. My heart was out to the neighbour a little bit because he was at... it, it, it turned out uh, After some investigation He was just out, He was just looking out the window uh, And he appeared to make eye contact With Mr. Flood And um, Donna Unfortunately At that exact moment Another neighbour Shouted out Something <laughs> that Mr. Flood uh, Put one and one together But with three And assumed it was the neighbour That you could see <laughs> So then um, As you would You know I mean He's the archer sure The adrenaline was pumping through him He's there grappling with his girlfriend in the street. He's not thinking clearly. Um, So he he, he went up to this poor neighbour's door and started uh, banging on it and and, uh, he made an offensive, it says that he made an offensive comment to the neighbour, which the neighbour perceived as homophobic. Oh
0: dear. There's no need. Like, just because you're arguing with your girlfriend over clubby book payments, (laughs) you know, because you haven't paid the Freeman's catalogue this week, doesn't mean you can go and start Calling your neighbours homophobic slurs.
1: <laughs> I mean I mean that's, that, there's never a good time to make a homophobic remark in these and exactly. times that we find ourselves in, but particularly not when someone's calling the police on you for grappling with your girlfriend in the in the street. I mean I, w- I would love to have been a fly though, let me let me first say that I don't condone assaulting women in any shape or form, right? No, no. I I would love to have been a fly in the wall. You know, and I'm I'm assuming that the conversation about money probably started fairly amicably. I wonder what the spark was (laughs) that (laughs) that caused them... And I I wonder what made them make the decision... Because they could have just grappled in the house. I wonder what made them think, you know what, if this is going to get physical, let's fucking take it outside. right? (laughs) I've got some expensive stuff in this house, you know? I don't want... I don't, I don't want anything to get damaged. Let's it's go outside
0: like a, and we've got room. It's like a backstage brawl in the WWE. <laughs> fighting in the locker room. I'm going to go out in the garden, banjo at each other with deck chairs and lawnmowers. Three nights in prison, so... Are we to think, was this right. on a Friday and it was over a bank holiday weekend? <laughs> it just got really unlucky.
1: I'm, I'm glad you asked that. Um So what actually what happened was the police arrived in the scene, presumably a, a, a neighbour had uh, called them. The couple were told, you know, they were arrested and, and booked and whatever, and they were told that they had to stay apart um until the hearing in September. Now, they've been together for four years, Graeme and Donna. At this point, but they'd stay apart until September. But then, during a welfare check the next day, obviously the the social had been around to make sure that there was no grappling going on in any shape or form. And the officers found them together again back at the property. So they had, they had a court order to stay apart until their hearing, and they broke it. Uh, and it ended them up with three nights and behind bars. So, yeah, apparently they had amicably agreed that they would go back to just collect some belongings, and it was just it was just bad luck that the that the police turned up when they were getting some bits and bobs from the from the flat. But uh, I don't know. But anyway, it got them three nights in the three in, in, jail, in the in the jail.
0: Well, love conquers all, but not a court
1: order. So, what about you, Nicky? What did you find when you were uh, scouring the, the local newspapers?
0: Well, obviously, we are in the middle of a global pandemic at the moment, and people are having to wear. Face masks, if they're going out and about. According to the Scottish Sun, supermarket chiefs are selling face masks with bungled instructions, ordering (laughs) users to bum them after (laughs) they've worn them. The little Pack of Ten, for £7.50, has a translation which tells shoppers to destroy by bumming after use. The blunder was spotted by an eagle-eyed shopper visiting the store in East Bride. He told the Scottish Sun, "It certainly wasn't the advice I was expecting, but it gave me a chuckle. Hopefully, people burn them instead." Now, I'd never thought about this in terms of face masks. I've just been putting them in the bin, and I'm like, "Yeah, as a way. Are you supposed to burn them?
1: Well, I didn't um, realise this is the, this is on This is literally the first time that I'm hearing this advice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I no idea. Because, I mean, like you, I've just been, you know, I, I wear one for a couple of days and then I just fling it in the bin.
0: Yeah, but, of course. What else are you supposed to do with it? Well, bum it, apparently, <laughs> is what you're meant to do. I'm not sure how you bum a face mask. I wonder
1: if maybe if maybe the, the eagle-eyed shopper in East Bride isn't as eagle-eyed as he's been given credit for, and maybe the are... And the M
0: were just a wee bit too close together. <laughs> no, nope, there's a photo. It says okay. "bumming."
1: Yeah, right. Okay. It, it says
0: "bumming" both one M, so it, it is possibly a little bit of ink has seeped um, <laughs> in terms of between the R and the M. But it definitely says, "Well, booming." <laughs> <laughs> in terms <laughs> of <laughs>
1: so booming, the French pronunciation. <laughs> um, just got images of all these like uh, medical mask kind of pyres in back gardens up and down Scotland as people ceremoniously <laughs> burn their use <news> masks.
0: Burning <laughs> chemical waste,
1: <laughs> burn- burning medical waste. Uh, yeah, so
0: that's my news piece. Anything else has caught your eye this week?
1: Well, yeah, I've got one more. i got one more. This one comes from the St. Andrew's Courier on uh, hmm. June the 14th, 2020 So obviously Our protagonist In this um, story Like a lot of people All over the world As a result of The current health crisis is He's found himself Furloughed He's a painter And decorator uh, His name is Graham Cunningham He comes from St Andrews His nickname is Beef And uh, because he's been Sort of uh, resting On his laurels For um Since he's been furloughed He decided to set up a, a page on Facebook Called Beef's Bakery Again insert quotation marks For a laugh After being furloughed from the St Andrews Links Trust. Um, the 47-year-old has been baking cakes, tray bakes, scones and much more in his kitchen and then giving these treats out to uh, the key workers and people in his area in order to, you know, fair play to, to, to beef. You know, he wants to support the guy, the, the hard workers that are still working in the hospitals and all that and in the local community. Um, but unfortunately, well, before I get to that, sorry, he... Um, Again, presumably for a laugh, started recording his little bacon sessions on YouTube, which has uh, led to a complaint. Graham told the courier that he had a guy on the phone from Five Council. Graham adds it was very nice and understanding, but apparently they'd had some complaints about the mess of Graham's worktops, the fact that he doesn't wear anything on his feet while he's <laughs> baking. And uh, somebody noticed that he had some of his dogs medicine Edison sitting near
0: the cakes. Now, I'm thinking this is a lovely story. This is a guy yeah. that's trying to do something good for the community. He's trying to, to give back and be nice. And I wonder where this was going. Uh-huh. And now, I could see people complaining about the state of his kitchen. Well, he's baking. I'm a messy cook as well when I'm cooking sure. stuff everywhere. But he's not wearing anything on his feet. Like, he's cooking these cakes... And handing them out round the neighbourhood like some sort of hobbit Willy Wonka—is that what you're telling me? That he's just well, I, I
1: don't. Th- that's th- I don't think. I don't think that he's. I don't think he's heading out in his bare feet. With the cakes, you know, as he's he's taking them around, I'm I'm sure he's putting some footwear on, but, you know, I guess some people are being a bit put off by the fact that he's cutting about his kitchen and his bare feet. I mean, to be honest, I don't know how you feel about this, but, you know, if someone brings in, like, some cakes into the office, because, you know, I've worked in the food industry for over 20 years, I'm always a wee bit resting. About taking a cake. Because some of these people that I work with are clatty bastards. Right? I've found myself next to people in the urinal. They haven't washed their hands after they've gone for a pish. You know, I see some of these girls' desks. They're a fucking midden. You know, they eat their lunch at their desk. It's just, it's not hygienic, right? So if that's what they show to their colleagues, imagine what their fucking kitchens are like. So for me, while I respect what Graham's doing, I don't think I'd be taking a cake off him whether I whether knew he cooked in these bare feet or not.
0: Yeah, I work in an office environment as well and uh, people do bring in home-baked goods. Yeah. Now, I will pick and choose who I will eat their baked
1: goods. What's the criteria for <sighs> well, a to take a
0: cake? if they're a clatty bastard, then no. <laughs> I mean, it's as you say, you can tell. Yeah. If someone comes in well turned out, you know, you can tell that they are take care of themselves and, you know, you've got to think, okay, their kitchen's probably quite clean. Also, eating habits as well. Like, you can tell what people eat for lunch and whatnot that you're going to know. So, I I will discriminate against that. (laughs) Thankfully, in the workplace I'm in at the moment, generally if it's someone's birthday, it's, uh, like, Dunkin' Donuts or something that people buy. In my previous workplace, It was always a cake that people would bring in. Not homemade, uh, from a bakery, so all good. I would never have a slice of the cake. And people always used to be like, why don't you want one? And I would say, I don't like cake. I don't like cake. I I like cake. That wasn't the reason. (laughs) It's because they would put candles in the cake. Whoever's birthday it was would blow out the candles. And I'm sitting there thinking, you've just fucking spat all over that cake. Is you're blowing out those candles. I'm not going to take the risk. And this was years before coronavirus. So it's, it's nothing to do with wanting to catch corona. It's more like, you just spat all over that cake. I'm, I'm not touching that. No way. On occasion, depending on who it was, let's face it, if it's an attractive female, then maybe I'll have a slice. But if it's a fat 40-year-old, No. I'm not touching that, no. Uh, You have another slice. I'm not going near that.
1: So the criteria is attractive young ladies daintily blowing out their candles, but sort of spotty, overweight, greasy-skinned, unclean-looking people, wheezy people. You're not not taking a slice of their birthday cake. You're going to... What
0: I'm saying is, I will have a slice of Kira Knightley's birthday cake if she blows out the candles. No offence, I'm not going to have a slice of Ricky Tomlinson's birthday
1: cake. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so Graham, uh, just to finish uh, Graham off here, the, 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 he goes on to say that the guy at the at Five Council asked them to register and do a wee course, but he said, but by the time I do all that, I'll be back at work. You know, he's optimistic that he'll be back on the tools soon. Graham says, I totally get what the guy was saying. I'm not going to try and do a Fife accent because, you know, it's a Fife accent. And as I said, even he was very surprised what people these days complain about. But he's only doing his job. I'm more disappointed and disgusted that some people would complain about what I'm doing. But hey-ho, it was good while well it lasted. Now, there's a photograph here of some quite nice looking cakes that Graham's I mean, he's kind of winning me over a bit here because he's put Cadbury's mini eggs in these cakes and I'm afraid that Cadbury's mini eggs are, like, smack as far as I'm concerned. I can't just have one. I've got to have the whole bag. And I can see at the top of... Right at the top of the photograph, there's a photograph, there's a bottle of um, Metacam and it says it's oral suspension for dogs. So... It was regrettable, Graham, that you didn't uh, take that out before you before he put the picture up and be Bakery. But uh, anyway, hopefully, Graham's back to work soon. Yeah, fair play to
0: him. Well, I'd like to give uh, a shout out to Scarecrow Day in Dollar. <laughs> I think this is wonderful. It's this is from the Aloha Advertiser, and Good. I know we're not going to review it on this podcast because it's a uh, an English show, but uh, this right. just reminds me so much of this country when they have the harvest festival, and they have a scarecrow competition. Uh, a scarecrow day has brought the community together in dollar during lockdown, so they 've organized this scarecrow festival, and over a hundred scarecrows were scattered throughout the town now i 've been to dollar i didn 't think there was a hundred houses, let alone a hundred scarecrows. <laughs> Anyway, it's a wonderful event and people built their scarecrows and put them out front and everyone got to see them. But the reason that this appealed to me was because the winner of the best name went to a scarecrow called Crow Exotic.
1: Nice. Which
0: I think is just a wonderful pun. So I want to say a big shout out to the people of Dollar. Thank you for that. Thank you. But also in the yellow advertiser... This is the article that caught my eye. Meet the Aloha Athletic fan who cheers on the Wasps from more than 200 miles away. Now that's (laughs) lovely. I mean, I I still cheer on Aberdeen and I live miles away. Uh, You know, I've been a lifelong fan. I've been to many games. I fly home for games. I buy the home strip every year. I subscribe to the, you know, Red TV every year so I can watch every game. Big fan. But this gentleman, (laughs) Rick Stead... Now Rick is spelled R-I-C-C which it, I've, I've, nice. I've never seen before but hey, that's a great spelling. He is Alua Daft. He's a lifelong Bradford City fan. As, as well. well. I, uh, yes, he's a lifelong <laughs> Bradford City fan. He's 35 but yeah. he has cheered on Alua from more than 200 miles away every week for nearly two decades. So, okay. you know, 20 years. And he is finally landed his own black and gold jersey last month when his friend sent it to him. So he's been a fan for the really 20 years, but he's never owned a replica jersey. Hey-ho, mm-hmm. that's fine. It doesn't appeal to some people. I mean, I, I buy one every year. I never wear it. It's more of a contribution to the club. But yeah. you think if you're that big a fan, you'd, you'd probably buy right. a jersey. So Rick's finally got his jersey. He's 200 miles away, sitting there in his jersey, delighted. And the reason that he loves Aloua is because he met this guy from Aloua called Craig, uh, nearly two decades ago. And they bonded over their love of football and Craig kind of put Rick on to Aloua. And this is a quote from Rick, but the funny thing is Craig's not an Aloha supporter and actually supports Dundee United. I just took an interest in Aloha because I like to see them doing well and because they're a lower league team. So, right. okay, right, yeah, I can understand that in a way. But when Aloha play Dundee United, I want Aloha to win. And he's the other way. Of course he is, Rick. He's a fucking Dundee United supporter. He's not going to want Aloha to win, is he? You
1: know? Have a think about
0: this, Rick. But he's delighted with his shirt, and he says that he's, you know, started taking an interest in results, and it went from there. And when they got up to the Scottish Championship, he, you know, just loved the fact that they were an underdog and and doing well. Craig sent down the shirt to him, and he's absolutely delighted. Now, he's been a massive fan for nearly two decades, but unfortunately, Rick says, he hasn't been to a game yet. <laughs> but hopefully, when all of this pandemic has passed, and we're allowed to congregate in groups, I'll be able to get up and see them. Rick, you haven't got off your arse for 20 years to go and see them. <laughs> you're blaming the coronavirus, which football stopped, what, like early March? Why? Why now? But once this is over, you're going to rush up the road 200 miles to go and see Alua. Rick, fair play. Wear your jersey. Go to your game. Have a pie. I hope you fucking enjoy yourself, and I hope it's a Dundee United game, and you win. And <laughs> your, your pal um, Craig can just, you can say um get it right up, you. Yeah. <laughs> so, now, obviously we want to talk about uh, a piece of, of media and culture that's you know, is important to us, or is Scottish over the years. So, when we decided to do this debut episode it was quite obvious of, of what we wanted to do and it was your suggestion, Greg. So why don't you tell us what we're going to talk about? I mean, you did already in the introduction but <laughs> we can, okay.
1: you can give a proper one. Alrighty, so like as I mentioned earlier we're going to talk about uh, the Still Game live show which was recorded the, back in 1999 at the Cotiers Theatre in Glasgow. Um, so the, the characters... Of Jack, Victor, and Winston have since become national treasures in Scotland. Uh, but before they were national treasures, they were sweary stars of them um, of the of the theatre, and and they actually go back a bit, a bit a bit further than that. So I'll give you some still game facts. The show was created by Ford Kiernan and Greg Hemphill. Obviously, both huge celebrities in Scotland now. But before that, before they were famous, if you like, Greg was. Working as in a sort of comedy ensemble, while Steph uh, Ford was a stand-up comedian working in the comedy store under the under Blackfriars Pub in Glasgow. They had met each other through mutual acquaintances, but the night that they actually got to know each other properly is actually is, is quite a good story in itself. So there's a comedian in Glasgow called uh, Bruce Morton, a Scottish comedian who actually went on to play the Undertaker in Still Game in the TV show many years after the. The stage show was recorded. It was supposed to be a birthday night out for Bruce, so Greg and Ford went round for him and happened to arrive on his doorstep at the same time. And when they chapped the door, Bruce opened the door a crack and they said, Are you coming out for your birthday? And he said, no, I'm just I'm not going out. And shut the door. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's never been really explained why uh, he didn't want to go out for his birthday. So Greg and Ford went for a drink together and got to know each other well. Uh, started writing together. So the characters of Jack and Victor uh, were originally on a Scottish sketch show that what well, we mentioned earlier on, Pulp Video. Quite different to the Jack and Victor that you would see now on the TV series and even quite different from the Characters that uh, on the on the stage show. Uh, Winston was there too, but he wasn't played by Paul Riley, who made the character famous. He was actually played by the actor Gavin Mitchell, who went on to play who was on to play uh, Bobby in the Still Game TV series. And there are like little short sketches on pulp video. The guys decided to write up like a play featuring the characters uh, after getting some encouragement from their colleagues. And they took it to the Gilded Balloon Theatre in uh, Edinburgh, which is uh, quite a very famous venue for comedy and shows, particularly during the Edinburgh Festival. It was a success, and they toured it Canada uh, and some different parts of the world before triumphantly bringing it back to Glasgow Cottiers Theatre, which is where the uh, show we're going to talk about was recorded, as I few have mentioned a few times already. So, obviously, Mickey would... Um, Everyone, well, most people, most Scottish people certainly are very familiar with Jack and Victor, as they and Winston as they appear on the Still Game TV series. But quite different in the stage show to an extent.
0: Would you agree? Yes and no. I think I mean my first exposure to this, I think, was from you actually. I I think the, the first time I remember seeing this show was round at your flat. We'd been out for a a drunken night out and had ended up back at yours and, you know, as it was, we would usually stick on a DVD or something because you did have one of the most impressive DVD collections I'd probably ever seen. <laughs> and I think one night we stuck this on and it must have been just before the CB started. I think I was familiar with Jack and Victor from their appearances in True of the Fat, but... Yeah. In terms of seeing the stage show, it was the first time I'd seen it. And I think I went to HMV the next day and bought it on DVD. Right, And I still have the DVD to this day. Of course, I was a big fan of the TV show. I mean, it ran for nine series and, you know, it was kind of a, a Scottish institution, really. I would agree that the characters are slightly different. I I, I think Winston and Jack are very similar to almost identical with to how they are on the show, but I would say Victor is very mm-hmm. different. I think he is played by Greg Hempel as a, a lot older than he is. I mean, in the TV series, Victor is pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, of course, in, in the latter series, and we will discuss still game at a later day. you know, remember, I think is it in the last series or so, that, that Victor has a kind of a makeover. And he's wearing Hawaiian shirts and (laughs) dye his hair, (laughs) and that's a you know the way that he is portrayed in this stage show wouldn't be that Victor if you know what I mean.
1: He's not always a particularly sympathetic character in the in the stage show. You know, the you know they make a lot of light of the fact that he's supposed to be quite tight with money, and he's you know he seems a wee bit more sort of decrepit in his movements um, compared to the other two. You know, there's a, there's a there's a bit when Jack's up sort of shadow boxing, uh, which we'll come on to later, whereas, you know, when, when Winston's get uh, when uh, Victor's getting up, he's, you know, he's got kind of a straining, he's got his chair and he's, mm. he's sort of walking a little bit hunched over and all that sort of thing and, you know, I guess, I mean, I imagine that was probably fairly physically demanding on uh, Greg Hemphill and to do it or a TV series, when you're not just on a stage sitting in a chair, you know, for a, a lot of the production, you have you know walking about on location and stuff like that. You know, it, it probably it's probably a choice, I think, to make Victor a wee bit looser.
0: Yeah, he certainly, as you say, walks with a, a hunchback in mm. the the stage show. Um, yeah. but yeah, of course, the it's it's it, the character had to evolve in terms of, and that's the. The thing I think about the TV series, that it ran for so many years, but Jack and Victor never seem to age in the TV series. Yeah. You know, they always kind of stay the same. And it was interesting to to go back and watch this after so many years to see the the difference in the the way the characters are portrayed.
1: So the the premise of the... uh of the stage show, is the, the three guys are sitting in Victor's, clearly lives in a high-rise flat somewhere in Glasgow. The lift's off, so they can't they make it, make it, they can't get out, and they sit around talking about life, what it means to be getting old, what it was like to be young, sex, and various other fairly irreverent topics uh, to... Often hilarious effect, but um, the interesting thing about the stage show as well is that before, is the is the language. It's pretty sweary in parts. But, you know, there's a lot of a lot of the a, lot, a few C bombs are dropped. A lot of the you know, there's a lot of fucks.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was quite not surprised, but I guess because you're kind of used to seeing these two as you know on BBC One. Yeah. And I think in the TV series there is a bit of colourful language, but yeah, to exalted. see Jack and yeah, but yeah. to see Jack and Victor say "cunt" quite <laughs> yeah. so many times is
1: I, I was a bit like, oh wow, okay, yeah. <laughs> the thing is, I mean, for, you know, coming from Scotland, that aspect of it is quite true to life because the guys are playing three you know like, working class former tradesmen who would speak like that anyway. There's no women around. You know, it's just a few guys by themselves. I can remember old guys when I was a kid who, you know, if their wives were swimming around, never swore. But if it was just them and, like, other men, you know, their language was as blue as anything. But of course, particularly in Scotland, we have quite a unique relationship with the word cunt, anyway. It's not necessarily meant to be offensive. <laughs> it depends on the context in which it's used. Now well, right? It's
0: always used as punctuation. The yes. word. It's, so
1: it's, uh, it, it can almost be a,
0: an endearing term as well.
1: Yeah, like he's a he's a great cunt. See that guy, Mick. Mm-hmm. He's a
0: great cunt. Oh thank you very much. Yeah. So, as you say, the the lift is off, and mm-hmm. of course, we open with Victor on the phone to his son John, uh, telling the lift's out, and then of course Jack and Winston enter straight away. Winston, you know, asks, can I use your toilet? And, um, Victor says, yeah, okay. So I'm only needing a pish, I'm not needing a shite. That almost sets the tone for the yeah. whole show. In terms of, okay, this is where we're going.
1: Yeah, and, you, know, you you realise immediately that these are three guys that know each other really well. You know what I mean? And can pretty much say anything to each other. Can I use your toilet? Oh, that's nice, that. How can you not know use the toilet in your own this? <laughs> So
0: then of course Victor goes to make a cup of tea. Of course, do you want an orange club or a penguin? Well tough titty. It's a rich tea or hee haw. A lovely Scottish phrase
1: I think. Tough titty. Um, And hee haw as well is a great is a great expression.
0: So then of course they have the when Victor's away making the tea they have the conversation about sticking the fire on and stick it on three bar. Like fuck him, he's got plenty of money. Uh, I guess that's the first glimpse that you you see that they think that Victor's got plenty of money, but also the wonderful Scottish thing of sticking the fire on three bar. I mean, <laughs> I remember that we had a three bar fire, and it was always just two bar. Three <laughs> bar would go on if it was very cold, but it was a special occasion if you put the fire on three bar. You
1: know, I mean, you know again, it's that sort of generation, kind of fastidious kind of generation. You know, like make sure the lights are switched off when you leave the room and put a jumper on, you know, get, 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 get that fire off, go, get, go and get another jumper on or whatever, you know what I mean? It's very much like now, you know, I don't I think, I mean, I tend not to think too much about it. I don't think much about the electricity bill. But yeah, I mean, that that generation, certainly my grandparents, very much like that. You know, the fire only went on in the evenings, never during the day, you know, because you wouldn't be sitting about in the living room during the day. <laughs> you know, you would be busy. Yeah. Yeah, the fire only went on in the evening for a few hours you're watching the telly. Get that big light off.
0: <laughs> Aye, get the big light. Say are you even Scottish if you didn't call the, the light in your lounge the big light <laughs> So Victor comes back of course with the uh, the tea uh, and the rich tea but he's a wonderful bit when he's hiding the Medida cake like in his cardigan. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, of course, it's for the stage because yeah. it has to be dramatic and overly done. But it's a, it's a wonderful bit of acting as he, he comes in and he's just hiding this plate with Madeira cake on it.
1: Yeah, kind of lets the audience in and the fact that he's he's going to kind of furtively... Nibble at this Madeira cake while the other two are stuck with the rich teas.
0: Yeah, and of course, uh, Jack does call about when they they spot it. And away you go, you fucking bastard, <laughs> jamming your hole.
1: What's that? What's that? What's that big broom thing you're eating there? <laughs> of course, like that takes us on to our, the, the. What's great about about when you go back and watch the stage show, if you're familiar with the TV series, is that a lot of the, a lot of the threads that are kind of spun in this stage show are picked up in the TV series and this is the first mention of uh, Isa who of course doesn't appear in the stage show but uh, is a central part of the TV show. It transpires that Isa had brought the Madeira cake over for Jack and that was the last bit he had in uh, <laughs> Victor uh, sorry Jack implies that Victor must be slipping her one But <laughs> <laughs> well, of course Victor
0: isn't happy about that that he'd be slipping Isa because she's 72.
1: <laughs> yeah, and bald and all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he the dry book. <laughs> uh, Victor has his sights set a little higher with 45 year old Irene from the fruit shop. <laughs> Irene? Irene in the fruit shop? Aye, oh, 45, there or thereabouts. Oh, mark on either, eh? She's divorced and all. Bet she knows her way around us, uh, eh? Her <laughs> does, she fucking does, not I could have her. Every time I'm in that fruit shop, she's always slipping me a wee bit extra, you know? There you go, Victor. Apple or a couple of carrots there. If I could just get her alone in this flat... Oh, give yourself peace. An apple and a couple of carrots does not constitute your whole... It's never actually implied how old these guys are. So, I mean, you would think mid to late 60s. Yeah. Because, obviously, if, if Victor's horrified that Isa is 72, but then, you never know, he he could be, you know, it's maybe him kind of saying, like, oh, she's 72, like, yeah. it's my age, I wouldn't have her. Yeah. But I presume they are kind of mid to late 60s. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the
1: thing is, when I was, when I was wee, I must be the same for you, old people, people when they were in their 60s, they seemed old... You know, my father's in his, uh, he'll be, he'll be sixty-seven this year. But you know, he, he doesn't he, he doesn't look to me like my grandfather looked when he was in his late sixties, or how Jack and Victor and Winston look. You know, if, if we're to be, if were to assume that they're in the late sixties as well, you know, it's funny that I guess it's probably like the way they dress and everything, but you know, like people they People don't seem as old now. Maybe people like resist it. Maybe people back in those days just embraced getting old. Do you know what I mean? Starting to wear slacks, getting cardigans on that sort of thing. You know,
0: like Grandpa Brain. <laughs> yeah,
1: bonnets and bathies. Uh, like My old man's still cutting about in these Levi's and all that. You know.
0: So then we get the first mention of, of Tam. Hmm. Yep becomes a character in the TV show about his dog, running away from the butchers. They they decide that they're going to have a wee sandwich to cheer themselves up. This is the first mention you get of Winston and his gammy leg, which would obviously then become a storyline in the TV show, that he had a home help, but it's been stopped because she caught him in Ladbrokes, which again I guess is a foresight of, of Winston's love of the bookies that you get in the TV series
1: that's right um, I remember later on when he's talking about gambling he talks about the, the he, he, he names the bookie and he say he, he, he reminds the other two that the, the bookie got shot in the head <laughs> Jack asks him what did you do he says I just put my bets on in the high street <laughs> <laughs>
0: This leads to a a wonderful conversation about funerals. But I love Winston's attitude when he says, like, fuck that, I'm not going to do the funeral costs. I'm going to hammer the 0898 numbers. (laughs) Fair play. Do you think 0898 numbers, they can't still be a thing. Surely it's all webcam girls
1: now. I I
0: have no idea. I don't
1: know. I mean, I could say varying degrees of pornography daily on WhatsApp by, as most, I think probably a lot of guys do, if you're friends with certain types of people. Everything from soft porn to stuff that you have to delete immediately before you, you know, stuff that you can see when it's going, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And the only thing to do is to switch it off and delete it in case one of your daughters picks up your phone.
0: <laughs> and it's at this point, obviously, they have the, the story about Big Eddie getting his wife keeping his body next to the radiator in the coffin. The paw start laughing, they drop the coffin, he pops out looking like fucking Al Jolson because his body's been next to the radiator for so long.
1: You know, I mean, would you get away with Would that be an acceptable joke in 2020? I don't um, think so, so probably not. skim over it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fucking I, mean um, joke. I mean, there's, there, there is something quite sort of sentimental about this little part of the play because, you know, they've kind of established by this point, maybe not directly, that these are three men that have known each other for a for, for years, for at least thirty, forty years, and they're starting to see their peers start to drop out. You know what I mean? Start to pass away and stuff. You know, J- Jack and Victor are attending a lot of funerals the whole uh, Big Danny story is why Winston doesn't go anymore but before he tells the story <laughs> he tells he, he accuses Jack and Victor of being addicted to state pie <laughs> <laughs> Victor starts complaining about the last funeral they were at how he was just back to the house for a sandwich and a cup of tea not even a wee half <laughs> goes, that last funeral was rubbish <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I suppose you know when you get to a certain age, it's like when you get to a certain age, and people you've known for a long time, people all start to get married or have children, you know. And if you stay in the same kind of circles, I guess it's going to happen as you as you get older. People are going to start to to drop out, you know. And I think it's a real kind of Glaswegian way of looking at it. I think just you know maybe not even Glaswegian, maybe a little Scottish way of looking at it. Just you know, it's kind of gallows human. You know what I mean? The pals are passing away. The, the pals are passing away, but it's a chance to go and say Cheerio and have a few beers, a wee slice of steak pie and some tatties and <laughs> some vegetables. You know what I mean? Um I don't, Again, is it, it maybe a kind of generational thing to make light of that sort of... St- or is it, a, is it a cultural thing? I'm not sure. Will it always be a cultural thing? It seems like, uh you know, we could have uh, becoming more and more sensitive to that sort
0: of stuff, so I don't know. Possibly, yeah. I mean, I think it is quite a Scottish thing, as you say, gallows humour, to yeah. kind of make light of it, and it is, uh, you know, you do kind of make a have a laugh and a joke about these kind of things, but yeah... But possibly. So they they ask about how they're going to know the lift's working uh, they speak about the, the, maybe the council will phone us or we'll phone them and Winston comes up with a beautiful lift well, here, why don't I go out and push the button and if the lift comes then it's working and if it doesn't come then it's no <laughs> and it's so sincere the way that he delivers this Speech that it, it's just fantastic.
1: I <laughs> I mean, they do give Winston a lot of the best lines in in, in this production. You know, Winston's played by Paul Riley. He he, he doesn't get a rating credit on the um, on the on the play, but it feels like Greg Hempel and Ford Keen have been quite generous because a lot of the a lot of the best lines go to Winston. You know, what I mean, often at their character's expense, or pretty much always at their character's expense.
0: I completely agree, yeah. I think Winston has the some of the best lines and some of the best comedy moments. A couple are coming up when they speak about the... His next line is great, but he's, they're talking about the kids in the neighbourhood and he's saying that I've seen them round right here drinking the hooch and all the cocoa Pops and it's just it's a beautiful lie because it it it's so funny. i I I remember about ten years ago working in an office and the boss's wife would have been in her mid sixties, mid to late sixties. You know, we're talking probably about two thousand ten ish. So social media's you know, it's it's a thing. She said something about oh, I've seen that on my face. For him to call, you know, it cocoa pops, it just it it just beautifully you know, I'm like I've I've seen that in real life. <laughs> yeah. It's it's fantastic. Uh, so I think that's just beautiful. And then, of course, but well, they look out the window at the kids, and he's <laughs> look at that one. He looks like a fucking farmer.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hands like Belfast hams. So
0: you're right. They were generous in terms of giving Winston some of the best lines.
1: Yeah. This is, of course, this this leads Jack to telling the story. About uh, one of the boys kicking a football off the back of his head. <laughs> the
0: abuse that Jack gives him. Hear you, you fucking cunt. <laughs> I'll rip your bastard and jaw off of you, you wee fucker. You want to have the mouth fair going? Which, of course, leads to Winston's outburst out the window. <laughs> because he's, you know, which, which one of it was it said that to you? And Winston goes into this tirade of abuse. Here! Oh, Jesus Christ. Here yous! Aye! Aye! Aye. You think you are a bunch oh, of fucking fu- hard you, men, eh? Do that. that's, that's that's, really. I'm doing well here, by the way. i tell you what to do. i tell you what to do. Come up here, oh. and I'll put oh, every one fuck of fuck your fucking asses for you! <laughs> Aye! Come on, <laughs> Oh, fuck, oh. And then, of course, there's a squad of them coming up into the block, but they've got 19 floors to come up because the lift's not working. So the
1: boys feel safe.
0: They do. And then the doorbell goes. (laughs) And you have the wonderful, come with me, Jack. I fucking watch me. And, of course, they go to the door and they come back and it was Isa telling them that the lift's back on. And, of course, that ends the first part of the show. So we come back for part two uh, we find out that they've been in the bin room for 40 minutes listening to the wee neds pissing on their doormat. And then we get the next, uh, well, the, the first mention of the Klansmen. Uh, they decide that they're going to go into a wee half, uh, but they decide not to go to the Klansmen because they're not going to pay £2 a pint. Jesus Christ, Ooh, £2. £2 a pint. I mean, nineteen ninety nine. That sounds expensive for nineteen ninety nine, even. Two pounds a pint. I'm sure it was like one fifty, maybe two pounds.
1: Uh, I think. I think uh, maybe Aberdeen, two pounds. Aberdeen prices would have been two and a half quid. I think, or well, maybe two. Back in those days, like when I first started, my first bar job was 1996. It was one pound thirty-five, and then I can remember the price went up. So the, 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 the price of a pint of lager went up to one sixty five, a lot of people, particularly the old guys in the bar, just being fucking outraged. I suppose with the benefit with the benefit of hindsight, you think, well, that's an awful lot of money because then a, a, a pint of lager. We we went out in Aberdeen last summer. I don't think we got much change from a fiver for one pint when we were no. up there last summer. You know, but certainly when it was, you know, if it was around the two, there wasn't much change from a tenner.
0: Uh, so they decide that they're going to get a out. But who's going to go for it? So they draw cards. <laughs> and it, it's so great, you know, Jack gets a three. They're thinking, ah, oh, great, okay, there's a big. way to get his coat and everything. He's, and he's resigned. Yeah, of course. You would think, though, if you're drawing a three, you're going to think that. And, and is kind of doing a victory dance, and then he picks his card, and he gets a two. But Winston's not going to pick, and he gets an ace. <laughs> And I love the the Victor. Aces are low, and Jack and Winston. But at the same time, are they fuck? Like they're ganging up on Victor. He's got to go and get. And of course, they put in their money to the kitty, and it appears they don't have enough because someone's only put in one pound twenty. <laughs> uh, of course, we know it's Victor because he's a tight arse. And I think we all know someone like that that. Will not put the correct money in, or will skip out rounds, or things like that.
1: Are we do we definitely know someone like that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, we certainly do. So Victor goes off to get the carry out, and this leads to, to Jack saying one of the lines, which obviously this podcast takes its name from. I'm going to take the cups and I'll get the uh, I'll get the tumblers out for the swallie. I think. So he goes off to get them and comes back, and then they discuss Victor's. What was it? They discuss Victor with a whore, it seems, and Jack like he's
1: h- spending all his money on whores. <laughs> That's it. Yes.
0: Can, can you imagine Victor with a whore? He didn't know what to do with the one he was married to. <laughs> Which Winston is outraged at this. That yes. Jack says this, and Jack tells a story about Victor's wife trying to kiss him one New Year's Eve.
1: Indeed, uh, Jack's saying he could have had her any time he liked. And to your point, again, you know, we see the find out a bit more about how long these guys have known each other for. You know, those, again, this kind of generation they're from where Winston is outraged that uh, Jack would say something again. Poor, uh, Victor's poor, departed wife. Yeah,
0: there's the, the moral code in terms of your friend's wife. You don't speak ill of, of that. Yeah. So this is when they, they spill the ashtray, And they get the hoover, of course the hoover won't work, so they go change the bag, and they open the bag and find
1: it's full of money. They've been been given Winston a hard time, both in person and in his absence, of it being tight, and it turns out that he's got thousands of pounds in cash hidden in his old hoover, (laughs) his old upright hoover.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because they count a bundle, and they work it out, and then do the multiplication and work out that he's got seven grand stashed in this hoover. (laughs) And, of course, the first reaction is get that fucking fire on for a start. I love as well.
1: The Jack's reaction at first to having the money. He gets all excited and starts like throwing it up in the air and all that. Yes! They're going
0: crazy and they're like oh, hold on, hold on, this isn't our money. We haven't
1: found this. This wasn't lost. But rather than
0: decide to confront him they decide to try and catch him out when Victor comes back with the carry out they decide not to mention anything but Winston just can't help himself so Mm -hmm. he does just say uh, we dropped an astray which leads to use the sweeper no we used the hoover the bag was full so we chucked it down the chute which leads to Victor to to run off uh, obviously after it and then you get the story of where the money's come from
1: yeah. This this is when you see the kind of more sort of vulnerable side of Victor, uh the more sympathetic side of him. He's had the money the money is from his his dead wife's uh life insurance and he can't bring himself to spend it because he feels like it's kinda of, he'd be kinda of giving it away, you know. Um he doesn't want to leave it in the bank because he doesn't trust the cunt behind the counter. <laughs> That's
0: wonderful, yeah. <laughs> I didn't like the look of the cunt
1: behind the counter. Fantastic. <laughs> so he hides it in the hoover. And of course Jack and Winston immediately feel guilty for the reaction to it. And um they tell him we should do something with it in case uh, you know, in case he dies and his hoover ends up down at the banners they start talking about the jipple cunt who lives up the stairs imagine him going at the banners and uh, you know uh, how much for the hoover uh, £7 comes back oh wow that'll do be me because I'm a I'm a sleek at cunt <laughs> well gets it home thing isn't working he opens the bag it's your money
0: <laughs> and again as we said earlier, it's Winston that gets that line <laughs> yeah. and to act out of, because I'm a fly fucking cunt. <laughs> That's right,
1: yeah.
0: Here's the, oh, it's not working. It's great that he delivers that with, with such comedy and then you find out that that Winston has had the kind of similar situation yeah. if he had an 11 and a half grand payout in 1967 when his son died in a car crash. That's right. And you never hear of this before or after, and mm. it's a uh, it, it makes Winston more of a sympathetic character because you realise that he suffered yeah. loss as well.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's a terrible tale when he's you know they're looking at buying a house in Bishop Briggs, <laughs> fucking Spam Valley, <laughs> as he calls it. I mean, I don't think I've ever been to Bishop Briggs. Is it Spam Valley?
1: Well, Bishop Briggs. I- I got family in Bishop Briggs and I, I used to live I used to live near Bishop Briggs and Rob Royston. And Bishop Briggs was I don't think so much now, but certainly in the sixties, seventies and eighties was quite an aspirational place to live. You know, it was quite a you know I guess quite quite affluent. You know, there's I mean there's some fucking beautiful old Victorian houses in Bishop Briggs. But uh it's kinda of north of Glasgow. It's probably about it's only like about 10, 15 minutes on the train from Queen Street to Bishop Briggs, but um, you know, quite an aspirational place, and a lot of kind of communities have kind of certainly in my lifetime of kind of kind of built up around. But Bishop Briggs, Wo- Rob Royston, where I used to live, we lived in a kind of new estate uh, which was quite small at the time. Where the old Rob Royston Hospital used to be, and now. It stretches it almost reaches Bishop Briggs, it almost reaches Lindsay and uh, Kirk and Tulloch and all that. So you know, but I imagine people who have lived their whole lives in working class areas of Glasgow, and who didn't aspire or Bishop Briggs wasn't within their reach probably looked down their noses a little bit and felt that Bishop Briggs was quite a posh place. So Spam Valley, you know, spam, bit fake, fake bill you know, tinned meat. Fancy, that
0: sort of thing, you know. Well, but they didn't get to buy the house because Winston spunked all the money at the goodies <laughs> Yeah,
1: and on, a, on a, a lovely coat for his his wife.
0: <laughs> yes, he does go into a wonderful description about the lining of this coat. And, yeah, the Jack buttons. has a wonderful line of, did you fucking wear it?
1: Yeah, go <laughs> with the story, you fucking transvestite, he says.
0: <laughs> but, of course, Jack would buy a a Doboli television yeah. if he had that money. Because for the surround sound, you get a hell of a fright, and again, that's beautiful yeah. way of kind of older people mispronouncing things, and it's a yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a wonderful little trait and so funny. Then I think Victor says that he would get a car, and they yeah. ask what the hell would he do with a car, and they speak about his first car and the summer that. You got crabs four times one summer. <laughs> now, first of all, is that possible? Uh, do you, I, I, I don't know. I've never had crabs. But... I've
1: never had crabs. Um, oh. I, do, I do have a crab story, but fortunately I, <laughs> I never got them. Uh, my cousin uh, Anthony and I, my cousin Anthony's from Ardrossan, and him and I got the ferry from Largs over to Millport one day I was about seventeen or eighteen. We we're over just to kind of bum about a few beers. It was a summer; it was busy. And we unfortunately we missed the last ferry back to Mars, so we kind of trailed about trying to get trying to find a B and B. We kind of we had, we had just got enough money between us to get a room in one of the B and B's, but I think that the the B and B owners might have thought that we were both gay <laughs> and didn't want <laughs> didn't want to. Rent we as a room, so when did, we had to just sort of resign ourselves to wandering about Millport all night until we get the first ferry in the morning. And um, we met two girls who... Anthony's older than I am. He's about... I think he's about four or five years older, older than me. And the, these girls were about, were about his age. So he... Uh, after we'd chatted him for a while and a couple of hours, he, he disappeared away down the beach, one of these girls, leaving me with a uh, pal. And unfortunately... She gave him crabs, which she discovered a day or two later, while I was left chatting to her pal for about three or four hours.
0: <laughs> oh, what a lovely memory of Millport to I take know. away, though, crabs.
1: But, well, you know, they, they're not the sort of crabs that people usually go looking for in Millport, but <laughs> at least they got his whole, you know? At least one is his did. <laughs>
0: Well, that leads to them discussing the countries that they've shagged, and... <laughs> It's a game we've all played. We're not going to go into it now.
1: Okay, yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't because
0: you'd win. I don't Victor and Winston are on seven. And Jack's very coy. And I think it's because, obviously, you're thinking that he's probably only been with his wife, uh, dearly departed Jean. But then he discusses Canada and this holiday romance he had when he went to visit his daughter with this woman called Charlotte. And it was just after Jean died. And, it, it, you know, it's a lovely story. And it, you know, Winston kind of mentions, get your hole in Canada is the, <laughs> the, the motto. And it's such a beautiful, heartfelt story that Jack tells about this little elderly kind of romance and dalliance that he has with this woman, Charlotte. And it's beautiful.
1: Yeah, and he Ford Kiernan, he, he, he has a, he's, he's a very good actor, uh, Ford Kiernan, I, I've seen him in a few different things, like a few different straight things, there was a, a, series, a series called um, Field of Blood, is based on a Val McDermott book, and it's about a reporter in Glasgow, or a, a, a journalist in Glasgow in the 1970s, and he, 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 he plays a straight character in that, he's He's a great actor, and you know he, he kind of really flexes his muscles when he's telling this story because it's completely sincere. You know, you, you know, and you, you can feel your heartstrings getting getting tugged on <laughs> until <laughs> once again, Winston gets another fantastic line. And to your point, he announces cutting Jack off right at a quite a kind of critical point of the story when he shows shows South Africa. <laughs>
0: Right out the blue, I got a, an airmail letter, you know. And I opened it up, you know, and there's just the one, this one paragraph in the middle there,
1: and it says... Sorry, Africa! <laughs> <laughs> me. <laughs> Fuck me.
0: Oh. I fucking forgot all about that
1: i shagged
0: South Africa, and again, it's just the the timing of it is impeccable, and it's such a a funny line, and it's such a shame because it just cuts off Jack's beautiful story that leads to the the modern women having orgasms and the clitoris. <laughs> <Someone says> it's <laughs> all.
1: They just gave them out in the nineteen eighties. Yeah,
0: fantastic just you know as i say these old men speaking about sex and of course winston says there's not a single day goes by that he doesn't think about getting his hole which again you know great line from winston and then he speaks about getting carol vorderman round and get your clitoris out (laughs) and then have a look at my gas bill (laughs) because she's good with the sums then they discuss the millennium, but it's about getting your hole. It'll be a big party. Everybody singing and dancing and shagging on every corner. Now, we did we spend the millennium together? Like uh, briefly, uh, I think.
1: Yeah, I think I passed me across. I mean, I was I was still going out with uh, my first kind of serious. Well, I'd say kind of serious. We we're living together, so I was a pretty serious, uh, girlfriend and uh, I saw the bells in on Union Street, and then I ended up in the Moorings Bar down at the harbour. Oh, Jesus. Where, where I'd I, I've ne- I've never been before, and I've never been since. I'm not sure why, how I ended up in there. Although I think I have been there, but it's all been done up. It's a kind of fancy bar now, I think. Um, but back then, it was quite the opposite of fancy. But the drinks were cheap, considering it was New Year's Eve. And then I ended up at a end up at a house party in Hilton, which doesn't make a lot of sense either because I lived in the city centre. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure why I had gone all the way to Hilton for a house party. The, the, the only circumstances in which I would have normally done that is if there was a girl going to the same party that I had my eye on. But as I was with my ex-girlfriend, I can't think of what the what would have enticed me to go all the way to Hilton. <laughs> <laughs> I was party at fucking two o'clock in the morning. But I did. Who knows? But there was definitely no shagging going on in the streets or, or anywhere else that evening.
0: Oh, no, I don't seem to recall that at all. Yeah. Everyone shagging on every corner. So they decide that, fuck the Millennium because they'll be dead. <laughs> and Winston decides that, fuck it, he's going to phone his brother George. He's gonna to go to Nevada. He's had enough. He's gonna go there for a fortnight or fuck for, uh, that, a month, six weeks. You get the the initial impression Jack and Victor have kind of been like, oh, for God's sake, uh, Winston's brother George in Nevada. Like it's almost like they hear about him all the time, but yeah. you know it's this kind of myth. And then Jack just, uh, I'll come with you. Yeah, you know, I can go and see my Fiona. It's just up the road. In terms of Nevada, Canada, quite a quite a distance, I think.
1: So yeah, so Jack and so Winston and Jack. Jack's got a couple of grand in the bank that he's been saving up to Diriam. him. Winston's still got four grand left from his the eleven grand they got when his sons died, and they 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 they're off to Nevada to see uh to see Winston's brother. And so Jack can nip up the road and see his Fiona <laughs> in Canada. i just check. Uh,
0: if we assume that she lives in
1: Vancouver, I'm yeah. not sure... I, I, but I then think Vancouver... I think it is Vancouver, because they talk about going to the Rocky Mountains and all that, don't they?
0: Yeah, but it's uh, it's like an 18-hour 18, and a 18 hour drive.
1: That's not too bad. I mean, considering like, how far away it seems, you could do it in a yeah. few days. You know? Sort of like, no, you could do it in
0: 18 hours.
1: but what I mean is you could stop
0: off Uh, this is what I love they they ask Victor to come and he says he's not wanting to go and send me a postcard so Jack and Winston decide they're going to book the flights they're going to book them on teletext who's got teletext? (laughs) Tam, Tam's got teletext Hmm. now this surprises me because obviously in the series Tam is such a Tight-fisted guy, you would think yeah. he would have a black and white TV, yeah. not teletext. But I, I, it, you know, of course, this was in the nineties. You know, before the kind of everyone booked their flights online. I, I'm pretty sure I booked a holiday on teletext. You know, I think the the first time I went to to Florida um, on a family holiday, we actually booked that through teletext. So
1: how did that work when You would. I guess you would get. I guess they would advertise on teletext, and you would uh, you'd phone up, right? Yeah,
0: it was a phone number. Yeah, but you, you co- would call.
1: You quote maybe yeah. like, you quote the code for the holiday. the holiday would have a code on it. The package, yeah? yes, yes, right. it would. Yeah. yeah.
0: So effectively, you're phoning a travel agent, but it was a, a teletext deal, right? That you would have. So they rush off to go in and book their flight on teletext, and it's a lovely couple of you know. A minute, minute and a half, where Victor's just kind of pacing around the flat and kind of not sure what to do, and then he just grabs the Hoover and runs up to the window and shouts after them, "Here, lads, wait for me! I'm coming with you." <laughs>
1: and
0: I mean, I'd, I'd be fairly impressed if Winston and Jack had made it down nineteen <laughs> floors in that time. I know All the right. lift's working again. Well, but oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd be impressed, but it's—I know it's done for timing, but it's a—it's a lovely way to end the the show as well.
1: Yeah, and it's—it's there's, and there's a, a—it's a bit of redemption almost uh, for Victor because before be, be, before obviously, the reason he doesn't want to go initially is because he feels that he's past it, he's too old, you know, he's—he he's, doesn't have—he doesn't have a great relationship with his son, um, probably feeling a bit sorry for himself. And uh, as, Jack's, as Jack's leaving, he tells him, you're an old man before he leaves. And you're kind of, you know, again, you start to feel a bit sorry for Victor. And and it, 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 it all pays off, you know, as you describe when he, he has a change of heart for a few minutes of sitting there by himself and uh, decides that he's, that he's going to go with him. And I, w- I would love to, I, we did do a wee bit of it in the, in the TV show, when Jack and uh, Victor go to Canada to visit Fiona, um, but it would be good. To, it would have been great to see that trip, you know, of them going to Nevada and Jack realizing how far away actually Vancouver is.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's a hood of a drive, I'd <laughs> imagine. Of, so, yeah, yeah, um,
1: yeah. It would have been great. I wonder uh, if they could so, ever be persuaded to do a
0: to do a special maybe. Ah, uh, but it was so great to to kind of revisit this and I, I really enjoyed watching it. It was it was fantastic. So I'm really happy we watched it again. Yeah, me too. And I liked, you know, I
1: mean, I watched a wee bit of a, a documentary about uh, uh, Greg Hemphill and Forky and, and, and they, they both say that so Victor's based on Greg's grandfather and uh, Jack's based on Ford's Uncle Barney. And um, there's a lot of, you know like the, 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 the whole Canada piece obviously Greg Enkhill uh, although he's born in Scotland he spent, he spent a lot of his formative years in uh, Quebec before coming back to Scotland school university you know so I mean it's they, they always say you should write about what you know about and write what you know and I guess it's the, it's the gift of these guys that although they were all the, the average age of the three of them at the time was about 32, 33 something like that you know they Great observers of the people that they grew up with, you know. I mean, they—they're are old men. I mean, we—we're both older than all those guys were. We're both mm-hmm. older now than we were than those guys were. When they, but just, they just—they—they they really encapsulate those characters. They—they they, they really fill those cardigans, you know. What I mean, and we, we, you know, when there's things they do and say that do remind you of people that you've known when you were younger or the older generation that that when you were growing up and stuff is. I think it's it's. Really underrated. I don't. I don't think it's ever been shown on the television. You know, I I just stumbled across it by chance. I've been watching. Like, the second series of Chewing the Fat, and I see, it, and I so I recognised the characters on the cover of the of, of the DVD. But you know, if I hadn't just got a chance to chance across to it, I would probably have never seen it. You
0: know. Oh, it's a fantastic performance by all the cast, and exactly as you say, we all kind of know people like that or you know we've had elderly male relatives that are just exactly like that. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's a wonderful performance and I'm I'm really glad that I watched it again.
1: If anybody wants to if you haven't seen uh the Still Game live and you'd like to see it, there's it's for sale on Amazon and you can buy the D V D for uh, ten pounds. It does there is a bit of a disclaimer on there that says that it when you get it 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 second hand. So it's maybe not Still in product, it's maybe not still being uh, produced as a DVD. It is also on YouTube as well, but I'm not sure we should be advertising that fact. I'm sure that Greg and Ford aren't over the moon about that, but um, it's there. You know, you can see it 75 minutes of your life. I don't think you'll regret it. What are we going to talk about next time?
0: Next time, I think, given the current climate and situation, I think we both need a bit of cheering up. So we need to watch something humorous. Uh, Obviously, this was very funny, but I kind of want a bit of nostalgia. So I'm thinking the 1981 classic, Gregory's Girl. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have recording it. If you want to follow us on Instagram, you can follow us at Pod. And if you want to get in touch with anything, then you can email us um, on cultureswally at gmail.com.
1: We'll, we'll put the links in the description for the podcast, so you don't have to remember them. And if you've got any suggestions of things you'd like us to perhaps review or talk about, um, drop in an email to us. And if we think it's good enough, we'll do it.
0: Yeah, we certainly will. Right, great. Well, thank you very much. Rich, speak we'll to you next time, Greg.
1: Speak to you next time. Oh Get yourself to fuck...